Welcome again to Back to the Future Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze the movie Back to the Future one minute at a time. I'm Scott Carell. I'm Nick Jimenez in the news. And I'm Bo York. And uh, yeah, I'm just excited to be here and I, I hope I win the audition. <laughs> well, well, uh, you're from uh, podastery.com. Yeah? That's right. Yeah. Podastery.com. Um, Podastery. Okay. Uh, Podastery Studios. I've never, I've never heard it said out loud. I just read about it all the time. No. Okay. So this is the problem. And this is really bad because I'm dyslexic. So I kind of always kick myself for naming it. I wanted to create a word. And so I took podcast and monastery and like blended the two. And thus I got Podastery. But it's uh, not easy to figure out how to spell, and it's like impossible to pronounce. So I've uh, completely kicked myself in the foot like <laughs> two two and a half years ago. But here we are today. So your your like your your big podcast, as far as like the internet is concerned, because you have a lot of like local podcasts, right? Yeah, that are like focused on your on Jacksonville. But but your your big one is the the Flash podcast, right? Yeah, yeah. We've actually we've got a couple um yeah, but definitely Flash TV Talk is is definitely a, a big podcast for us. Uh, another large one is actually called Country Squire Radio, which they're both very different in terms of their focus, but uh, but yeah, Flash is uh, is about the CW's hit series The Flash and uh, me and my co-host Bell, we take every single episode, uh, give it a, a nice high energy in-depth analysis of, you know, what's going on with the characters. We get like super nerdy in terms of uh, the time travel specifically and so if if that's your thing be sure to check that out well obviously i mean i think it is our thing we're talking about <laughs> yeah. the future yeah it makes, <laughs> makes some sense now look you're telling that, me this flash show has time travel yeah dude <laughs> you gotta check it out i do yeah. <laughs> all right well uh today we are going back to minute 66 which begins with uh george saying uh t- telling lorraine that he is her uh density uh, i mean destiny <laughs> And uh, ends with uh, Marty shouting at a bunch of kids on scooters. A lot of good things in this minute. A lot of good things in this minute. Oh, yeah. Um, so, first of all, you have George, who is so excited that she kind of sort of recognizes him. <laughs> Baby steps. Um. Uh, but then when when he says the the density, I mean destiny line, I, I I when she says oh, I mean my heart just it just feels like my heart is just crushed into a little ball and thrown into a a, a hamper. It's such a like, uh, it, it's such a nuanced <laughs> delivery of the line. Um, yeah, because I think Lorraine is just a creature of of such kindness. That mm-hmm. it it definitely isn't a like you this is awkward but it there's like a, there's a hint of pity yeah it's, it, it's like like yeah. when you like when you find out that the kid that you're babysitting has a crush on you yeah <laughs> wow um, well yeah because yeah. like, it's not um it it could almost be mistaken for I think um like oh do go on I'm your dad it, it it it's so matter of fact. Like, oh, right. okay. I wasn't aware that I was your destiny. Okay. <laughs> See, uh, I, I always kind of thought not she wasn't just humoring him. I, I actually thought that she was kind of, you know, saying like, is it? Like, like there was almost a, a bit of a question there in, in to the way that mm. she reacted. Because and, and in all fairness, he mm. is actually her destiny. <laughs> yeah, That's I mean, true. he's not lying. And in, in this moment, uh, I can kind of see in, in the prime timeline that we never get to see sort of what endeared mm. George to Lorraine. Uh, like, we've sort of spoken in the past about, like, what could 
possibly bring these two together besides like the intervention of like their time traveling son. But <laughs> like in, in these moments, like, okay, I could see like kind of like the puppy dog sort of like, oh, come here, like, oh, we lamb. And we all know that's Lorraine's bag. I mean, Lorraine loves a Lorraine loves a project. Um, she seems to. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, in this little moment, I can be like, OK, so there is like an inherent affection or at least an inherent infatuation between the two huh. of them. And it's a little moment like this where I'm like, OK, so it's not 100 percent Martin. Yeah, maybe. I, I mean, maybe. But I, I mean, I've seen this movie. I can't even I can't even tell you how many times. And I've never had that reading of it. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe I'm just a maybe I'm just a glass half empty kind no. of guy. I don't know. <laughs> but it really feels it. Fe- it it really feels like the 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 little kid with a crush kind of sure. Thing. Yeah, I I just I think it's I think it's interesting that we didn't go. I feel like a lesser comedy. You know, I, I just got done watching. Uh, don't ask me why, but I just got done watching Paul Blart Mall Cop Two. And um, wow. is it because of the that podcast, it's hundred uh, percent because of the podcast. Uh, <laughs> so, so there's a podcast called "Till Death Do Us Blart," um, hosted by the McElroy brothers from my brother and my brother and me, and oh, right. uh, and it's sort of every year until or even after they're all dead, um, they will gather around every Thanksgiving and watch and record a podcast about Paul Bart Mall Cop Two. <laughs> Um, like you do, yeah. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. well, if if they're doing that, the least I can do is is listen to it. But yeah, anyway. But there's a scene in Paul Blart Mall Cop Two where, um, you know, kind of like in a in true Happy Madison fashion, a dorky loser is is hopelessly hitting on a hot girl. Um, and the joke's on us. I don't know. I I never I, I never get what what the joke is with those movies. But um, I feel like you know, in the hands of like. You know, the guys that made the new National Lampoon Vacation movie or Hot Tub Time Machine, it would have been like, oh, my God, this is so gross. Get away from me now. But, you know, just the the gentleness of this uh, in, in this little – maybe I'm reading too much into it because I, I'm just watching this one minute over and over again. But I, <laughs> I, I, I was sensing more, like, tenderness than I think, like, a, a, a less kind movie would do. Well, and you got to remember mm-hmm. that George is not, you know, he, he's not the the archetype of a nerd that is kind of the true form of that archetype. I mean, he's he's kind of this creep to some extent, like almost kind of taking everything that uh, was kind of seen as a nerd in that day and uh, and turning it into just the most sad sack uh, borderline. Well, no, not borderline. He was when he actually met her. He was stalking her up in the tree. So I mean, like, oh, that's, that's true. He is a peeping stalker. Cop. So I mean, like, you know, he's not. Uh, there's he's just not Holden some... Caulfield. Exactly. Exactly. Or, he's or not homeboy from homeboy from uh, person being a wallflower. At this point, right. there is nothing, in my opinion, all that like <laughs> lovable. Uh, well, yeah, about George. The main thing is, you know, we care about George. Why? Because we care about his son. We care about Marty, and so yeah. which is great because, of course, we end up seeing. Uh, the great role reversal of instead of the father stepping up for the son, here it's the son actually stepping in to which defend was, his which, father. Which, which seems inevitable. I yeah, mean, oh, yeah. e- even if Marty had never traveled back in time, there was going to come a moment where, like, Marty would step over, like, the sobbing, quivering pile of meat that is his father and like, stand <laughs> up to, to Biff Tannen. It's just happening in the past instead of the present. Right, right. right. So they're all age appropriate. Yeah, so it's not, like, too sad. Uh, yeah, but that is what that I mean. moment, though, when Biff walks into the diner and you see it in the background that it's about to happen, cool you know, yeah. 
and and then he shouts hey mcfly and there's this great thing because okay and i feel like in any other movie that moment would have been because you got the jukebox playing right Mm -hmm. in any other movie that would have been a record scratch moment yeah but instead the the jukebox just slowly powers down (laughs) which makes it so much more terrifying (laughs) like because it's it makes it not a funny moment it makes it like a moment of terror oh no biff oh no it's just like it's just dread you know Mm -hmm. um i i I really like that i thought that was a good touch that being said what what happened did somebody like pull the plug on the jukebox or what like well the, 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 the jukebox became frightened Oh, the jukebox! <laughs> it just stepped out. It, this is the jukebox that is a, a a long lost cousin of the one from Happy Days. You know, the yes. right? sentiently <laughs> understanding what's yeah. going on around it. It's like in a western when the saloon piano player slowly covers <laughs> up the piano keys. Right, right. right. I'm getting out of here. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that happens in uh, Back to the Future Three. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> um, uh, love skinhead sweater. Yeah. What a oh, what yeah. a weird out of character outfit for him to be wearing. Uh skinhead, a guy who has been wearing, you know, like he's been sort of uh the 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 t-shirts with like the cigarette, you know, the cigarette box in his sleeve kind of a guy mm. with with his with his fingerless gloves and everything and then he shows up in the scene and he's just he's wearing a he's wearing a cardigan sweater. <laughs> It's such stole. such a weird costume choice. Uh, I'm a fan of the random extra that Biff pushes. I like to think that that was improvised. Yeah, yeah, was, I like that. So too. yeah, so he wasn't part of the crew, like part Who? of Biff's crew when he was pushing that guy. The guy, the guy that the guy that pushed that got pushed out of the way. That's that's not part of Biff's. Crew. Okay, well, I know you know what I'm thinking about when Marty actually runs out. He pushes some folks. That I wasn't sure. Oh if they yeah, were... yeah. He pushes all three of the of the crew down like they're bowling. Right. Pants. Okay. Gotcha. Got. Including yeah. the return of Billy Zane, who wasn't in the cafeteria. I'm glad he's back. <laughs> right. Right. Um, this is uh, yeah. And then and then you got 3D, who just cannot stop himself from like leaning back. Like I don't I don't know if he's got like a cat mentality where he's trying to look <laughs> big or or what what's the deal there, but he's always doing that weird lean back thing mm. all the time. Maybe he's just trying to see maybe he can't see through the 3D glasses, so he's trying to see like under the rims God. of them and so he's got to lean back to look. Well, in all fairness, he actually is like the smallest of the uh, you know, of the posse here. So he's probably he's, yeah. Oh yeah. When it all goes down, he's the one that's gonna want to be hanging back. He's the Joe Pesci of the group. Exactly. That's true. He's the live one. Yeah, he's the psycho. <laughs> yeah, he's the one the oh go oh, god, here we go. <laughs> like three D three cut to three D like slowly taking off his glasses and he has like two, like different colored eyes or something. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> uh, this whole scene just is giving me major uh crystal skull uh feels. Really? Uh well yeah, because there's that amazing scene in Crystal Skull where um hair or uh indiana goes to and like he hangs out with Mutt. something that has never been said I was, about, I was about to say i don't know if i could go with you here uh, <laughs> you know when they're at the greaser bar and then like mm. the camera pans over and there's like a bunch of greasers and they're like that's right i forgot it i forget about that it was pretty good for establishing the yeah. for sure it was such a like spielberg that was spielberg's like i think mr was spielberg zemeckis moment yeah i mean that whole movie like half that movie is is like an ode to back to the future weirdly sure 
fathers and uh, sons. Mm-hmm. Well, well, and the whole nuke the fridge thing oh, and sure. like all of that came from that first draft of Back to the Future. So yeah, Spielberg doesn't go into the into the fifties as much as I would want him to. Uh, like watching Bridge of Spies, I was like, wow, this really isn't a decade that we see him like cover too much. No, but he's great at he's it. Great. I mean, that's sort of that's sort of the the I mean, everything about like the classic Americana fifties aesthetic is kind of inherent to Spielberg. Yeah, um, that, that optimism. Uh, so so Biff uh, Biff tells uh, tells George that because he's in the diner when he told him not to ever come in there again, he, it's going to cost him. And and I think when he says that, I immediately think, oh, it's going to cost you like a punch in the arm or or a noogie or something. I don't know. I don't know. Whatever bullies do in the fifties. And then he's like, how much money you got? Which I was like, oh, you meant you meant literal cost. It's actually, and then <laughs> he's like, I, I like how George knows George is smart enough in this moment to not just be, cause, cause Biff says how much money you got. George could say, Oh, well I've got, you know, $12. No, he says, well, how much do you want? <laughs> <laughs> so he's, he's, he's like, I, I, I was kind of impressed with George. Uh, uh, stepping up to the plate a little bit like that, like he's 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 like, I'm not gonna give you all my money. You tell me how much you want, oh, and I'll whatever. give you that. No, whatever. <laughs> he's just such a sad sack, man. He's not even like fighting it whatsoever. I, I saw no bite in his response to that question. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't think I don't think bite is so much as uh, strategy. I guess. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. All right. It's not it's it's not so much bite a strategy because we see a little bit of his strategy the last time that we saw them interact in the diner, um, where he sort of would talk around Biff's bullying, um, and Biff and Biff would eventually just sort of you know bully him and bully him into submission. But but there there's always this moment where George tries to outsmart Biff a little bit. Mm. Um, and he knows he knows what he's capable of getting away with and what he's not. He knows he's going to have to pay Biff something, but <laughs> right. he doesn't have to pay him everything that's in his wallet. <laughs> that's fair. You know? That's fair. <laughs> yeah. You know, I um, haven't had – I haven't known my closest friends as long as Biff has been in George's life. Like this, 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 this man has been a part of George's <laughs> life for 30 years. You mean by the it, point we we begin the movie at? Yeah, mm-hmm. just just thirty years of of like degradation and humiliation and like emasculate like just the level of physical and emotional trauma inflicted upon this man mm, by yeah. one guy. You think he'd be even worse off than he is? Yeah, I mean, in, we, we, in the prime time. Well, you think you know? he would have like just spazzed out and like hit Biff in the head with like the bowl of candy, you know, and like, like a burst of like Cohen brother violence. I just can't believe that <laughs> like the longer you think about George McFly, the sort of more like the darker this movie gets. Well, yeah. but again, that's why I, I just, I don't think about George McFly. I mean, I know that he is kind of the purpose, right? Like he's the mission that Marty is, is he's the is. MacGuffin kind of. Oh, absolutely. He is. Uh, but he's at the same the time, he's not, I just don't, ever really care for him. I mean, you do, I guess in the end when he does finally step up and become an actual, uh, an actual character, like a, a, cause there is something about him that he is just so wishy-washy at this point. Sure. Uh, mm-hmm. 
But I mean, I, at the at the same time, I had never considered what you're talking about, Scott, in terms of him having a little bit of this evolutionary strategy around. Okay, yeah. this is this is my life. I must somehow figure out how to survive in it. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. and, 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 and not to pick at old scabs, but you know, every kid sort of goes through degrees of of hostility. You know, well, whether it's bullying or just you know, oh, this kid's a dick. <laughs> but like, you you do kind of form. As a kid, you do kind of learn to adapt. You're like, okay, well, if this is going to happen every day, how can I make it better? You know? Yeah. So it's like, it's right. little tricks like, well, how much money do you want? Or like, oh, it's okay, Biff. I, I'll, I'll get it to you tomorrow. So it's like, rather than, you know, nipping it in the bud or kind of doing what the dad, you know, your mom and dad always says, well, you stand up to him and punch him in the face like Marty does. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's like, well, instead it's like, okay, well, how can I, how can I get out of this less emasculated? Can we talk mm-hmm. about that punch for a second here? Because that was a pretty deck of cheap shot right there, man. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, yeah. I mean, Marty. It, it was, it, yeah. I mean, it was, I mean, that becomes an ongoing joke in the series. The look over there joke, yeah. which, which is, I, I, I guess it's just to show how dumb Biff is like that he falls for it or or, or Biff's plural because yeah, they all fall Marty, for it. Marty, Mar- Marty McFly is well yeah. but is it so this is the question though is it dirty or is it the same kind of you know evolutionary how do I deal with this because of course ev- everybody on set is about three times the size of Marty McFly sure, and so right. he's sitting there with Biff like even that stand up moment where oh, you know Biff so stands good. up and gets taller and taller and taller yeah, and yeah. Marty has to and that, deal that's with a shot guy. yeah and that's a shot that you wouldn't have been able to get with because uh, J.J. Cohen, the guy, the guy who plays Skinhead, was going to be Michael J. Fox's Biff before Michael J. Fox wasn't available and they cast Eric Stoltz. And so then they had to cast uh, Thomas uh, Alf Wilson as Biff opposite Eric Stoltz because Eric Stoltz was taller than J.J. Cohen. Huh. Um, and so so that shot would not exist in the Eric Stoltz with J.J. Cohen, the Mar- the the Michael J. Fox with J.J. Cohen, or the Eric Stoltz with Thomas F. Wilson. It only exists because it's Michael J. Fox and Thomas F. Wilson. Right. It's like right. Uh, it's like biology. Yeah, you know? it's so weird. You would only have um, been the possible. other thing that's interesting. The other thing that's interesting that you can notice if you freeze the frame, the frame of Biff getting punched in the face. Mm-hmm. If you watch that frame, that is Eric Stoltz punching Biff in the face. Interesting. No, that is there. That is Eric Stoltz because uh, Marty is about a foot shorter than Biff, but in that shot, they're the same height. Oh, that would have been great if they had like gotten a wide shot of Michael like jumping. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but. Awesome, but uh, yeah, that's that's Eric Stoltz. That's the one shot of Eric Stoltz yeah. uh, for sure still in the movie. There's a there's another shot actually later in uh, in the week that I I think is Eric Stoltz, but we'll we'll talk about it when we get wait. there. Um, what a um, great physical performer Thomas F. Wilson is. Yeah, um, it's an underrated uh, it's an underrated ability to like take a hit or take a fall and really sell it. And yeah. it, you know, th- there's a reason that that Biff is, is is more than just like, oh, the bad guy in this dumb '80s movie. But he's like as part of the iconography as anything else. And I, I would argue that if it wasn't for Thomas L. Wilson's performance, 
you know, Biff Tannen wouldn't be a big part of like the mythology as he is. Oh, absolutely. You know, cause it's sort of like a classic, like, you know, oh, like Jesse Pinkman wasn't supposed to make it past the first season of Breaking Bad or, you know, right. you know like if it wasn't for this performance that, you know, you really love, you love it whenever Biff enters the room. Like mm-hmm. the movie, because he, he just makes everyone better. His size sort of adds to Michael J. Fox's heroism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, you know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's just—he's just a. It's a really underrated type of performance that Thomas F. Wilson gives in this. this that I think, I think more. You know, if we're gonna see more candy at the multiplex, you know, we should take a look at what candy can can look like when it's really <laughs> done well. Well, yeah. The stakes are so much higher. When he walks into the room, it's his size. It's the way he delivers his lines. I mean, this is a huge, hulking, sort of mentally insane person. <laughs> kind of a sociopath. You don't know what he's about to do. And so, yeah, I mean, absolutely. He he is uh, he, he becomes a classic Hollywood villain uh, in the performance that he gives. And he's just, and he's just a, a, a shitty kid in your neighborhood. <laughs> exactly, right. <laughs> Uh, so after Marty punches Biff and, and runs out of the, out out of the diner, bowling over Biff's gang on the way out, we get that shot of, of, uh, of Lorraine grabbing George in a pose that is not unlike sort of that classic sci-fi hero heroine pose. Mm -hmm. Um, like that first Star Wars poster, you like know, things. only she's grabbing his shoulder instead of his legs. Right, yeah. right, right, but yeah. she's totally doing that sort of move. Only she's talking about Marty instead of him. <laughs> That's great. And it's it's just really it's like it's like giving George something that he has dreamed of his whole, his entire life, but just ruining it completely yeah. because. He's getting like the classic sci-fi stance, only it's not about him it's about, <laughs> at all. It's about his weirdly sexier son. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, they both represent something that, that Lorraine just doesn't have in her life, right? I mean, you're talking before about why on earth would she and George in the original timeline have even really connected. And it's because George is, is someone who's safe. You know, I mean, yes, he's a project and she likes that, but he's also safe, which is not something that she's used to in the relationships that she's had before. And then Marty comes along and he is he's he's morally, you know, the heroic figure, which, again, is not something that she's accustomed to in the relationship. She has he's before. chaotic. Good. Exactly. Oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and of course, ultimately, spoilers, George gets there. And uh, that's yeah. that's really what, what creates the, uh, yeah. the perfect timeline. But, and um, you know, and, and, and this is something that I was thinking about while watching this movie is, you know, particularly like these few minutes, because we get a little bit more of, uh, of swooning, uh, of swooning Lorraine, like later on. And, you know, I really can't remember the last time that, uh, you know, I think the cool thing about this movie is they let, Michael J. Fox, they 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 let the male hero be sexy to 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 women. Sure, they allow the archetypes to be archetypes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I feel like you know, if they did this, and I'm not I'm not speaking ill of any performer currently or in the past, but I kept you know, I we keep going back and forth. Well, who would be Marty McFly today? You know, right. and I think you know, if they were making this movie, I keep thinking about like you know, homeboy from the maze runner mm-hmm. or like, cause I'm like, I, cause like, I, I feel like if they made it today, it would be like, Oh, we'll get like Jonah Hill 
or yeah. <laughs> you know or like yeah or get huh. like I, I feel like the well i mean Ke- Ke- uh kevin ziggler pat past guest of the show mm-hmm. kevin ziggler um he suggested donald glover and i'm Oh, hundred percent. Completely. Oh, on that, board that on could work. That. Sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I I just think it's cool that, like, in this movie, like, yeah, you were like, yeah, Myron McFly is like kind of. He's the object of the desire. That's what I meant. Yeah. Or like, yeah, because yeah. the movie can be like, look, it's Michael J. Fox, <laughs> you know. And I feel like a lot of right. a lot of movies don't deal with that, where it's like, have you noticed everyone in the story is like really pretty? Well, they don't <laughs> they don't take the air out of it like yeah. they do now, um, because. You know, uh, the thing to do because because uh, uh, being genuine mm-hmm. in something is usually a negative mm-hmm. uh, being earnest mm-hmm. in, a, in a movie or a TV show or something is usually treated as like a negative uh, thing, a negative aspect, um, because for whatever reason, people don't like, you know, earnestness. I don't know. Anymore. I think I think we might be swinging back towards the earnestness. I think we're starting to, you know, but then, but then you have movies like, you know, Tomorrowland that are completely earnest and are bombed, right? You know, right, and yeah. and people see it and they're just like, oh, what a bad movie. And I was like, and it's like, yeah, what, what? Well, because it's hopeful. Well, I don't think that's. <laughs> I think I think Tomorrowland bombed because it had like deeply un un uncool looking trailers, and like it was think, not marketed appropriately. That is absolutely yeah, true. yeah. Because if you look at movies, I, like, I mean, I don't know how you market that movie appropriately. To be totally honest, mm. yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> definitely not the way that that they did. But yeah. I mean, if you look at Star Wars, like that is one hundred percent not an ounce of irony is in that is in that film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I mean, yeah. There's, there's some like literal like ironic jokes, like burp, 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 you're a janitor, burp. but like it's so pure and i think america was hungry for that you know and yeah but that was also done through the lens of nostalgia but tomorrowland wasn't about nostalgia there's a scene in a nostalgia shop yeah uh yeah but but like what i'm talking about is like look at guardians of the galaxy right that is that is not like that is not an earnest movie uh, it, it is a movie that is constantly making fun of its own. But hero. It, hang on, it has some like severely earnest moments in the midst of a lot of I, 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 when yeah. when when Rocket is drunk and talking about he never wanted to live, like he didn't want to exist. It's not his fault. Yeah. That's an earnest moment that's coming from a drunk raccoon. You or, know what like, I mean? or, or, or to name another Drax moment, or another Rocket moment when Drax tender. When's the last time you saw a movie where like? A male hero was openly crying at the death of his friend, mm. and another male hero like hugged him or embraced or petted him. Yeah, but that's the end. Also, of the it movie. opens up with the kid's mom dying of cancer. <laughs> like, <laughs> like he... I remember walking into that and like being like, "All right, yeah, Chris Pratt, and, you know, it's Parks and Rec in space. It's going to be amazing, it's, and it's going to be great." And then, like five minutes in, I'm like, "Oh my gosh," you know, like I'm like. I felt soul crushed a little bit just watching this. Yeah, I think Tomorrowland's a movie that's going to like, yeah, now when it's like, oh, the movie that made like, you know, 83 cents. But I think like in 10 years, once that goes away, I mean, I was watching this movie being like, oh, my God, if Tomorrowland was on Disney Channel, I would watch this movie every time it was on Disney Channel when I was like 10. Mm -hmm. But I think I think the point I'm trying to make is that we don't see this sort of 
hero that's just completely earnest. Like they don't really try and take the wind out of his sails. They're just like, yeah. I mean, I mean, the thing that's ironic about it, I guess, is that it's his mother. Right. <laughs> sure, right, right. yeah. <laughs> but but it's still it's still there's 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 an earnestness to just unabashedly just being like, oh my god, what a dream, you know? Yeah. And, and, and there's nothing – I mean they just make this – they just make Marty look like a, a hero in the next in the next few minutes. Yeah, like, you know? little, like Marty McFly sex god. Right, or, right. There, there's no moment – there's no moment where, you know, he, he has his big heroic moment and then, and then the girl pops out from the bottom of the ship and it's just like, what's going on? Like, <laughs> oh, right, I forgot about you. Like there, there's not that – additional moment but he's broken i'm just like, being yeah. like oh he's a big hero and oh well actually no he's not he's he's kind of a dead well we wouldn't <laughs> like, want marty to be well we wouldn't want anyone claiming marty to be a mary sue he, he can't be he can't be too competent <laughs> right um you know what you know what, if, what we're talking about heroism you know and like you know movie movie heroism not real heroism but like um uh there's no such thing as real heroism no i'm kidding uh <laughs> just, just throw that out. Um, but if you look at who Marty grew up, I mean, Marty is a, a product of like the you know Han Solo and Indiana Jones and Rocky, and so he's sort of or you know like Elvis. Because I don't even think it was Elvis a thing in 1955, or mm, you know like yeah. cool almost hadn't been invented yet. Right, he's so, he's more of right. a hero for cultural reasons rather than actual motivations. I mean, obviously, yeah. he's his whole deal is about self-preservation. Like, you know, that's not yeah. necessarily a, a heroic uh, plotline, but what he represents to all of these people around him, he's shaking up their world, changing it, and making it better. So he he, is he, he tripped hero. Biff. Yeah, exactly. Right. Ding dong, the witch is dead. And he's like distant and cool, but whereas, like, you know, if if he was, you know, in the eighties. You can imagine, like, yeah, this guy's kind of an underdog. Like, he's a little scrappy. He's not the tallest kid. He's not the strongest kid. But he's, like, you know, he's, like, decent looking and he's, like, cool. But then he travels back to 1955 and he's, you know, he's he's Chip Skylark. You know, he's <laughs> Justin Timberlake. Right. And it's kind of cool that it's sort of, like, in, you know, we were talking about how Hill Valley doesn't really have, like, uh, a Johnny hometown, like a hero. It's like Marty McFly becomes the hero this town never had. Right. 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 All As right, we're about well, to see uh, next episode. Right. Exactly. Um, Which I, I got to tell you guys, I, I got my minute wrong originally. I did all this research on the history of skateboarding and how Calvin Klein was not actually responsible for, you know, inventing the skateboard. But that's cool. <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, we're getting to that tomorrow. So, uh we uh we'll, we'll be talking about minute 67 tomorrow um in the meantime go to our website back to the future minute.com leave comments on this episode or any other episode uh we get a lot of comments lately uh which is that what that's nice uh both good and bad um <laughs> which is awesome <laughs> uh you can also email the show contact at back to the future minute.com uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Tumblr, like us on Facebook, leave us iTunes reviews because that helps out the show more than anything else because that's usually how people find uh, podcasts, uh, that and word of mouth. So uh, you can tell people about the show too. Check out our other podcasts, uh, Not Writing, uh, The Doctor's Companion, our Doctor Who podcast, uh, which should be back 
uh, this week, I think. Uh, and then uh, Geek by Night, which premieres in two days. Woo-hoo! Yeah. So uh, so make sure that you're uh, looking out for that. Two days, January 6th. And uh, we will uh, – oh, and make sure that you're listening to the other Minute podcast, Star Wars Minute, Goodfellas Minute. And uh, check out uh, – Pod- how do you say it now? <laughs> check out Pottery, but hey, uh, I tell you what, go to flashtvtalk.com to check out the podcast we referenced at the beginning of the show. And on all of these wonderful shows, if you don't have an iPhone and you got an Android device, be sure to check them out on the Satchel Podcast Player. Hey, there you go. Yeah. All right, we'll uh, talk to you tomorrow. Bye. Bye. Goodbye.